Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, aka Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver. And Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. Hey, Coast. This month is Sexual Health Awareness Month, and we've partnered with our friends at KY Canada to bring you four amazing episodes centered around your sexual health. This is the first conversation in a series you don't want to miss. It's the ultimate girlfriend gab session. The conversation that bonds you makes you laugh until you cry and exposes new levels of vulnerability. The benchmark of true friendship. This week, we're inviting you to listen in on a conversation where we discuss communication around sex and intimacy without judgment, answer some of your most asked audience questions, and ultimately empower each other to own our sexuality. Today, we are becoming cliterate. Pew, pew, pew. Because <laughs> you asked and you shall receive. Because that's really what we do around here. We heard your audience questions loud and clear in our open call out on Instagram a few weeks back. And we teamed up with an absolute gem of a human that we're so excited to have as our guest today. Psychotherapist, relationship, and sexpert. Meet Kat Koba. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> what a sweet introduction. Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. All right. So to get started, from the research we did, you knew from a pretty early age that you wanted to make helping relationships your life's work, basically. So we want to know... What's the most common problem that people face when they're talking about sex and intimacy with their partner? And what are some tips and tricks to make it a positive experience? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a big, it's it's a loaded, loaded question. question. Yeah. So um, maybe I'll just start by like kind of positioning myself yes, absolutely. Um, a little bit. Um, so I'm a white cisgender female therapist and I uh, completed the couple and family therapy program at the University of Guelph, yeah. which had a really nice social justice kind of orientation. And it Shout inter- out to Guelph, because who knew? Yeah. 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 Guelph out here doing things. Okay, I like it. Yeah. I mean, Guelph is like white as hell, but like... <laughs> in but gen- was the program overall? <laughs> the program was amazing. Yeah. And we had a, a kind of a week-long sex uh, therapy intensive that we attended as part of the requirements of the program. And this was such a good fit for me because I've always kind of seen sex as this great equalizer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really about pleasure. And if we can feel deserving of pleasure, which a lot of people mm-hmm. don't for many, many Ooh. reasons, um, then we can kind of step into our power. But I think the biggest challenge or roadblock that people encounter when they're learning about sex when they're growing up is that they don't really have accurate information about their bodies. So amen. (laughs) Middle school is not doing that. (laughs) No, they're really doing everyone a disservice. And I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's some information, but there's really zero talk about pleasure and about learning your body. And so I think that like one of the, the biggest tips that I could ever offer someone is to find resources on your own body, maybe even, you know, attend sex therapy, like find out what you don't know. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And talking to someone can help 
you understand what were the messages that I got growing up about sex? How is that living in my body and limiting me, you know, in experiencing what I'm capable of experiencing? You're going to have to share some of those resources afterwards because I think everybody's going to need to read up a little bit. Absolutely. We will link those resources in the blog post. Do you guys remember a few years ago when everybody in the world was discussing discussing love languages? Yeah. Oh, my. Uh-huh. I think we're still talking about them. Literally. Yeah, me too. Acts of service, yeah. <laughs> worlds of, words of affirmation. There is so much discussion around how you show love and how you'd like to be shown love. I think it's a great, great place to start um, on how does that translate like, into the bedroom? Mm. You know? That's such because a good question. I think yeah. the way you show love is not necessarily the way you want to be shown love sexually. Yeah, right. There's a, there can be a disconnect. And I don't think there's 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 no book that like the five sexual love languages, you know, or maybe there is. I don't uh-huh, know. Maybe, maybe. there is. Yeah, but it's like I'm, it. I'm a pleaser, or I'm a like yeah. I like you know I like to be docile, or you know mm-hmm. what? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's such a good question. I wonder if there is some overlap between the two, right. and it would be great if someone actually wrote the book. So that's a call out for (laughs) someone who, you know, has uh, some expertise. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. But um, I think that, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of like, I guess the first things that come to mind are I'm just picturing different ways that that could play out in the sexual realm. So if you're someone that might be, you know, have a love language in the sexual realm of acts of service, then you might, you know, consider yourself to be maybe more submissive and really cater to your partner's pleasure. And that might be a turn on for you, or it could be in the opposite direction. It could be that someone really likes acts of service. So they really like being pleased and sort of having the focus be on their pleasure. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things that I've learned in my experience as a sex therapist is about men's sexuality Mm -hmm. and how tightly woven their emotions are with um, their sexuality. So they often kind of are ones to say that touch is their love language, right? And their partners may or may not be, but I find this much more often in men than than in women. And I think that this kind of speaks to just their socialization, like not growing up with a language of emotions, not growing up with, you know, this permission that perhaps as women we might have to open up and to be vulnerable and to express their love in different ways. They're only given so many um, options, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they might risk kind of losing their masculinity or their manhood. And so I think that like we often look at, you know, this, this sort of stereotype of men being maybe more sexual as, um, you know, kind of embedded physiologically and maybe there's some truth to that but um, I think a lot of it has to do with socialization and them just like really not having a whole lot of opportunity for touch right it's always like if if we can touch as as women Mm -hmm. like even when we first meet each other we can kind of like establish that nurturing kind of touch and that bond but for for men I think it's so difficult because there's always that like no homo yes. uh thing that like, hetero, like heteronormative kind of like yeah um completely against like fear of homosexuality mm, totally that, that exactly that it it forces them not to ever touch even in a normal hug. way yeah. yeah even in a completely appropriate 
mm-hmm. A-OK, yes. like, this is my friend, mm-hmm. like, what's up, I love you. And then they, oh, you're right, they always have to follow, like, no homo. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, no one, pause. we're good. Remember we that, don't need remember that. pause? <laughs> oh, my God. Pause. Like, okay, nobody cares. Like, it, nobody th- thinks that you're slipping. It's just, it was, oh, my God. And then the, I grew up in a super white suburbia area and um, mostly, like, hockey-dominated um, mm-hmm. bros. <laughs> and it was all these kind of weird they almost felt like like teabagging and Ugh. you know like they were like touching each other completely inappropriately mm-hmm. but it but it wasn't it had it was nothing okay. to do with homosexuality mm. it was just this weird play that they all like, did yeah, like erotic yeah. like, yeah. like I like on yeah. <laughs> but it, it, weird. yeah it, if it wasn't all about trolling like it was it was yeah. very it's it, very strange that it all has to be guys in like a joke yeah you know yeah. like it's never like guys sometimes and I've never heard of heard it that way, the way that you said it, that there's not a lot of opportunity for men to be touched. And it's so true. Like we hug all the time, mm-hmm. you know, what, right when you see another woman, like that's what you do. And it's never thought of in that kind of sexual. It's not sexualized. Yeah. And for like for me, I think my language of love really is touch. I love to be touched. I love people hugging me. I love like my friends mm-hmm. kind of like showing me affection through touch um, not, not even in a sort of like romantic partnered sense, but um, I think what what men kind of go through is that they have to like hold back. I don't know if pause is like part <laughs> of that, but they do have to like take this moment to to consider their surroundings. And they they often will do that, too, with their female friends. Right. So there's very few opportunities for touch with female friends. Mm-hmm. Anyone that isn't their partner. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening, I think, in relationships, in heterosexual relationships anyhow, is that there's this invitation into touch from men. And especially if a woman has just had children and she's kind of touched out from her babies uh, and, yeah. you know, like being a caregiver all day and being touched all day, there's going to be this kind of misunderstanding about what that's about. It, it's going to be interpreted as this pressure and really like. She becomes, I think, in relationships. I know we're moving really far away from the love language no, question, love this. but um, I think that that what ends up happening is that she ends up being the only person, really, mm-hmm. that he can touch and feel a sense of love from. Because I right. think we all know what it feels like to. Well, maybe not all of us, but but a lot of us know what it feels like to just be touched and to really feel loved and accepted mm-hmm. and embraced and held. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, I don't know where it comes from, but I don't love being touched. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I'm coming to think of like when I first also had my baby, um, I was like, oh my God, like I felt like a full cow because mm. you're like, you're I'm breastfeeding <laughs> and it's like, oh, I just want, I was out of my skin so much mm. that I don't know if it, maybe part of that, part of me changed around touch. And I, and now I have to like consciously be like, give my partner a hug snuggle mm-hmm. like i have to be like do it <laughs> because i'm just like i'm hot and i'm get mm-hmm. like you you know but i i like it it's just i i'm very i can be like very standoffish like i can it because it, it i don't know it it feels very vulnerable maybe mm-hmm. that's what it is it's this very vulnerable thing that i'm sure i should work on mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is interesting and i and i hear you loud and clear when it's like your partner is the only person that ends up being to, to give you that love, that that physical touch that you're not getting anywhere else. But then, how is there is there maybe some 
I don't know if the word's psychology, but some thought around like why then, and statistically this might not be right, but that men almost become like bone collectors. Like they have so many girls and it's almost Mm. like numbers. It's like they Mm -hmm. have to have, they have continuous sex with different people um, because they're always searching for more love. Like it's never Mm. really full. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's like that, an observation or... That is an interesting question, <laughs> you know, especially if you're rooted in the idea of like lacking intimacy in the way that women are given permission to have that same thing. Because I think what mm-hmm. we often get tripped up about is the idea that intimacy has to be sexual. Mm-hmm. And intimacy, like, I hate that. It really it bugs the fuck out of me because I don't believe those two things are mutually exclusive. Like you can have an intimate relationship with someone who's not your sexual partner. And for me, touch is super intimate. But in a nice way. And I don't always want to be touched either at all. But if it just depends on the person. But people do get really weird about that. And maybe there is something to that. Like they're trying, people are trying to fill their cup. But then also it's that. never, it's never actually intimate because mm-hmm. it's someone new all the time. Like a fucking yeah. Chuck situation. And it's not even good sex. Yeah, like exactly. these guys are going around and like sleeping with a new girl every uh-huh. other day, every weekend. But they're like, ah. Oh, yeah, I hooked up with her. Uh-huh. But it's nothing of value, it seems. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? It's really interesting. It's a really interesting question. The The thing that's popping up in my mind is there's some really there's some new research that um, is really interesting. It talks about how um, or it finds how most people who are looking for casual encounters, they're not just looking for sex like that's kind of the idea that's how we conceptualize casual sex but most people are often in it for a little bit of intimacy as well percent yes and if you think about like if you've if the people listening if any of us have ever had kind of like a one night stand like there can be a lot of intimacy there there can be like talking about you know like someone's issues with their dad or I didn't sign know? up for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, how did I get Because they know it's oh, it's fleeting and it's over. So you can almost unload. And maybe that, that right. might even tie into like sex workers and how sometimes they just become almost Absolutely. psychologists. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, yep. this guy just wants to talk. So you're thinking that it's going to be like sex in and out and then it ends up being hours of the conversations about the life situation oh that's such a good point because it's like then that person is like well i'll never see you again and also co-signed by someone who studied the sex work thing you're you're 100 percent right my thesis was on this exact thing it is almost always for a lot of indoor sex workers in like escort agencies and stuff they're like the sex is the last five minutes if it is anything like they want a partner a companion or someone that they can like speak to to like unleash or unload their the situ- like whatever's going on. And maybe that is around sex, maybe it's a kink or whatever, but mostly it's just about life. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Switching gears. Um <laughs> what, what this is like an open discussion, but what does an amazing sexual experience look like to all of you? Wow. Mm. What a good question. Mm. <laughs> Spare no detail. 16. <laughs> Who's going first? <laughs> 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, I'll go first. I'm not a spirit. Listen, if you know me and you're my family, you might want to skip the next 30 seconds or so. I'm not about it. So... My definition has actually changed drastically from obviously 20s to 30s. So um, now I crave intimate sex and intimate sex in the sense that like I know I like to know my partner. I ha- And I'm not generally when I meet a man, I can count on one hand how many men I've met. And I've been like, I would fuck you in my whole life. I have to know them first. It's like a mind thing. I've got to enjoy it. And yeah, I could smash somebody if I wanted to. But I, I have no interest in doing it because I've I've done that before. And it served its purpose as it does. But now I care about my partner caring about my pleasure because I have done this one too many times where I've been with a dude. And I, as soon as I get like a whiff that all you care about is getting off, my guy. Get out. Mm-hmm. Get the, and when I say I have <laughs> literally been like, get the fuck out of my house right now. I've done it before. So I'm like, ew, ew, ew. It's not hot. It's it's. The biggest turnoff for me, especially because what really bugs me about it the most is like you are a man and like you're here and you're probably going to get where you need to go. I'm going to be honest, probably going to get where you need to go. Statistically speaking. Statistically speaking. (laughs) So the idea that you're not concerned about me getting where I need to go and I know what works for me. So the second a a guy is not into that, I'm like, this isn't going to work for me. Um, So now I crave intentional intimate sex with somebody and I, that doesn't mean like passionate love. like no we can do it all but turn off the light no we can do like crazy Incense. shit no that's but, all there <laughs> but i want somebody and the way i describe it is like i want someone who is excited and hungry for me and the second i feel that from somebody the more i'm like let's go and i'll whatever we can do it all but that's where i'm at right now and that's super important for me because I can, my problem is like my shit switches off really quick. And I'm like, ew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I become mean. I'm just like, man, I don't want you to be here. Like, please leave. wonder so, how you can like, what switches that flip? I don't, I don't know. I just, it's like a selfishness thing. It's like, no, I don't know. Selfishness, maybe like past trauma, right? Like, yes. Something that's happened to you in the past, maybe a couple of times where you felt that people haven't, um, it's also tied up probably in all of how you feel and you show up as a woman mm-hmm. and that then you're not getting the respect in the bedroom mm-hmm. that you're willing to give, you yes. know? And it's, you always say it's like this equality. Oh, it's I'm an equality partner, not yeah. an equity partner. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And ooh. <laughs> mm. to the guy who didn't want to end up the podcast you're dangerously close to ending up on this podcast sir <laughs> names mm. are about to be mentioned i can I mean, i'm it. not gonna say names but i am gonna say this is exactly it he's the guy i'll tell you he was like i want you to suck my dick but i won't go down on you i'm like no no and like to the point where for a full year he's like been trying to like contend. I'm like no, mm-hmm. and like angry. Like I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? Go away from me now. Mm-hmm. You made mm-hmm. it on the podcast, clown. Um, 
<laughs> but that's exactly what it is. Like that kind of stuff that doesn't work for me. Like, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. He's so. the one that when you actually finally agree to suck his dick and you know you're dreading like doing it, he's pounding your head uh-huh. down with no. that, there's really nothing worse it's like mm. okay now i'm here oh oh no that's a nut punch yeah, yeah. it's when you you know pull out a little teeth no <laughs> anybody else more what do you got <laughs> i mean there, i also agree with cleo in the sentiment of i like intimate sex like i like to be physically and emotionally attracted mm-hmm. to the person that i am sleeping with um I prefer my partner to have more dominance in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of want you to lead the way, tell me what to do. Like, I don't feel a sense of, like, being degraded Mm -hmm. in that that respect. Once you have, um, you know, that the person respects safety. Yeah. The safety Safety. within those boundaries. Like, I totally feel you, not to steal your thunder, but I love to be submissive in that sense. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's nothing hotter to me. And like, you know what you're doing? Like, oh, let's go. Get it. She's like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Who's coming over tonight? Dear respectful boy. Yeah. Dear, please, Where are you? Please W-Y-A. Yeah. And we'll play Certified Lover Boy tomorrow. <laughs> I think there's something about playing with things that maybe scare you in, you know, in real life or just outside of sex. That when you can pair pleasure with it. For, for me, something that's, I think, painful for me is like a feeling of being out of control. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I'm very type A, highly organized, <laughs> like a planner, yeah. a planner. And I think that I can very much look at that as something to be played with in a sexual realm. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something in our brain. I don't know what it is. I wish that someone would do some research on this, but I think that there's like pleasure and pain pathways are very much like one in the same. If you think about our skin, you know, the same patch of skin, if you're holding up like a hot iron bar to it or like a tattoo gun or something. Mm. And even with tattoo gun, it can be like both pain and mm-hmm. pleasure, right? Or if someone's gently caressing you in a way that you like, not yeah. <laughs> looking at Katrina. Yeah. Cringe, like. cringe, cringe, cringe. Yeah. <laughs> then like those can all be really different sensations, but they're going through the same sort of like neural pathways, right? And so I think that there's something about like pairing what typically is painful or fearful for you in real in real life, I can say. It's all real life, yeah. right? Um, and And something that feels like, that can be really pleasurable for you. Yeah. Right? So. I think that that is so bang on. Literally. It's like having like running a, a couple companies and mm-hmm. having to like stand up and being like the boss or the owner. It's, it's not something that I like maybe identify with naturally. So having to wear that hat all day, sometimes you just want to be like the sexy bitch. Like, you know, like I want, <laughs> I want you to like make me feel like, like a baddie yeah. yeah and like and then dominate in that way that i don't have to be that like i don't mm-hmm. have to pick the place for dinner and like you know like do all of those things mm-hmm. and we're gonna get into that after about how like the lead up to, to sex mm-hmm. and how you know what um what's it called what do you foreplay? call it foreplay foreplay, mm-hmm. but like foreplay, foreplay can, like, for foreplay me can start at like 9 a.m 
where mm-hmm. like the dishes totally. are done. <laughs> yeah, that's hot. <laughs> like, yeah, like last yeah. night I made um, dinner for my family, and I it took me a long time to make it because I was making all these different things, and then sat down and had the whole dinner. And Jimmy went went upstairs to put Harlow to bed, and then I came in from outside, and he had cleaned the whole kitchen. Ooh. Oh my God. The way I was like, I love you in ways that I don't, I can't explain. Cause I was so scared to go into the kitchen and be like, I have so much to do now. And it was, go- I was like, okay, and you really you hate want? dishes. You really hate dishes. <laughs> I do hate them more than anything. Okay. <laughs> I love it. That's my segue. Oh my God. I love this. Kat, what would you say to someone listening who could potentially be in a relationship or have a consistent partner where they're not feeling pleasure every time that they are having sex mm. that they're not having pleasure every time that they're having like sex. there's disconnects throughout the sexual experience yeah. yeah like sometimes yeah okay but not all the time right yeah okay okay those are two really different things i think right so a lot of um a lot of clients will come in and say just sex just isn't good right and we kind of ask like well, what sex would be worth having or wanting, right? Because if sex isn't good, your desire is naturally going to go down for Mm -hmm. sex, for that sex with that person, whoever that person might be, if it's your partner. You might still experience sexual desire, but it might be just directed somewhere else. And I think that if there's any kind of pain, you really want to go and talk to your doctor. That shouldn't be happening, right? It can be so many different things that that might be happening. You might have something called uh, vaginismus, which is kind of like a, a blinking vagina, right? And so like the, the muscles will contract and they won't mm-hmm. allow for any kind of insertive toy or penis or whatever to come in. And that can be treated, mm-hmm. right? Like that can in most cases be, be treated with um, a pelvic floor by visiting a pelvic floor physiotherapist, right? So no and do your research on who to talk to, what kind of healthcare professional to hook up with and not hook up with. <laughs> I just want to make, <laughs> we're talking about sex here. That would be highly, highly inappropriate um, and illegal. So to connect with, to help you, um, because you shouldn't be experiencing pain. If you're not having a good time every time or some of the time or maybe it's better for your partner than it is for you that's actually pretty common and we want to talk about that and like what can make it better and I think again like people really they they struggle with talking about sex and we can kind of like get into more the philosophy yeah yeah Yeah, for sure well I mean Here's the thing. I think people just don't have enough information. They really, really don't. And and part of the reason for that is I think sex, I think, is is seen as like more of our primal kind of like animalistic impulses and mm-hmm. urges and things like that's kind of how sexuality is like conceptualized for lots of people. And this kind of has allowed us to separate ourselves, humans, from other animals and kind of in many violent ways allowed us to do whatever the whatever we want right with animals and this has also been something that's been uh sort of used as violence towards certain racialized groups still is and i think that when we look at sex as something that's like less civilized somehow we end up not really understanding how much power again just going back to the first point that we covered 
about pleasure, we don't understand how there's so much power to be found in pleasure. And so a lot of people then end up not learning about sex because it's this like base kind of part of us as humans that like uncivilized uncivilized people would rather forget that exists within us would like rather push into the shadows into the corners and shame of course anything that's in the shadows is is something that can cause us shame so we end up growing up with just this like incredible shame about being sexual or not being sexual, right? Because on the flip side of that, everything that's suppressed, everything that goes down will come up again. It's like the opposite of gravity. So everything that we suppress, it kind of like ends up in the shadows somehow. And so we end up learning about sex on the internet, mm-hmm. um, on pornography websites mm. that are like really not accurate reflections here. And or we learn about it from exploring our own bodies in a ton of guilt and shame when the lights are off and like everyone's asleep Mm. and we end up having these like tension orgasms if we're even able to like allow our body to have an orgasm. Because for an orgasm, you have to have both like you have to be relaxed enough and you have to have a little bit of like that adrenaline and that like intensity and a little bit of stress in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we bring that into our relationships Mm -hmm. and we have a really hard time talking about it because no one told us that it's an okay thing to talk about and it's like a completely acceptable thing to talk about just like the groceries just like who's you know taking the kids this weekend or whatever and we end up just not talking about it at all so when it comes to creating better sexual experiences i think learning how to communicate about sex like even just like Writing down what it is that, for people listening at home, like writing down what it is that would make sex better for you and then practicing if you've never talked about it with your partner, which a lot surprisingly like large numbers Mm -hmm. of people have not been able to do, just like say it out in the mirror and know that your your partner's ego is not more important than your own pleasure. I love that. Amen. I feel like it's like (laughs) we're like full grownups feeling nervous about talking about this, but if you've been through any kind of therapy, it's always your inner child that you're talking to. And it's mm-hmm. like somehow you're showing up as like a nine year old mm-hmm. in, the, in the bedroom. Like it's like you can't have these conversations. And then if you can, you might be putting your partner in an uncomfortable position because mm-hmm. they can't access it. I wonder if there's I have a different question right now. I wonder if, if there's a way that we could talk to children mm. at a younger age and take it away from school because school's probably not going to do it based on like your religious uh, denomination. Like mm-hmm. I know I was Roman Catholic and oh my God, the stuff Stop. we learned at the school. Lotus. It was just so bad. <laughs> the so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you have any tips or teachings that we could start talking to kids about so that they mm-hmm. feel more comfortable talking about sex. Mm-hmm. It's like my daughter, I'm very open about talking about things and showing her things. And we, I don't, she's basically a hangs around with a bunch of, over 35 year olds all the time because she's an only child we got i got a gift it was um it's a vase but the vase has like a big booty she fully <laughs> made a skirt for it she made a skirt she's like, this, oh, is very, no. she's like, this is very inappropriate yeah. mom and then like Aww. at her dad's house she he has like a picture of a, a woman and she's she has no top on and she's like covering nipples yeah Aww. so yeah i wonder if do you have any advice on how to talk to kids about this stuff I was thinking about that weirdly on the way over. Like, I 
I don't know about any children's books that are like age appropriate, you know, um, based on maybe what the kids are curious about or want to know or is important to know at that like developmental stage. But I would imagine that there could be some kind of, you know, writing on it or maybe some kind of like cartoon way to teach kids about this. Yeah. But I think that I think that it's really awkward for parents too, yeah. mm-hmm. and I I really do kind of I understand why parents might not want to have that conversation. They might fear being inappropriate, or like they might fear if they were to give their children information that 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 would kind of like encourage them to mm-hmm. go and right. do something that might not be necessarily um, helpful for them or empowering for them at, at certain ages or might be like just inappropriate, right? So I think there's a lot of fear that parents have. So I think it really does fall into the hands of our educators in school, in schools to be kind of providing this information. And you know what a really good resource would be, would be like CCAN, the Sexual Information and Education Council. We'll link it. I can't remember exactly, right? But um, but there are so many good resources out there. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who are doing amazing research on what happens when we provide this information to children at this age. What kind of, you know, um, downfalls are there? Often there aren't because this is like really well-researched stuff and people really deserve to know and have mm-hmm. information to um, to understand their bodies and sexuality. Um, and what are the benefits? So some of the benefits of like really comprehensive um, sexual education programs, I think it's somewhere in like Scandinavia. I don't know which country exactly. Um, they prevented a lot of gender-based violence. Um, they had fewer like unwanted pregnancies, Mm -hmm. lower rates of like STIs. Mm -hmm. I mean, like just benefits really. Uh, And so I'm not sure when it comes to kids, like I think that we need to be able to fund research to Mm -hmm. find out more Mm -hmm. and then kind of like teach our kids at different levels what they need to know. But I'd be, I'd be curious to know like what you would have wanted to right. know. I think that's a really Ooh. good question to yeah. start from as well. Yeah. I think my parents were great at like addressing it um, and talking. Like they t- spoke plainly about sex rather than it being like, oh, don't do that. Mm. Or, you know, like mm. putting shame around it. So I think I'm trying to follow in those footsteps of not hiding the idea that it exists. Um, but yeah, I, I have to I have to look up that resource. Um, for, for women struggling to feel more deeply connected to their partner during sex, what non-sexual acts can help deepen sexual intimacies and connection? Washing the dishes. Like domestic foreplay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Filling up the gas. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Taking out the garbage. Mm. Yeah. Just struggling to find kind of like a deeper connection. Yeah. I think this is like a really interesting um, part of, I guess, like conceptualizing male, female, like heterosexual interactions when it comes to sex, which I think it's like, I think we grew up with this idea that women um, like have sex to get love and that mm-hmm. men 
what's the opposite of that? I'm like well, totally blanking right now. No, give love to have sex. Oh, like yeah. fake love. Yeah. Yes. You yes. know? Yes, yes. Like a Some manipulation based. happening yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I actually think in just working with like lots of couples, I think it's the exact opposite of that. So I think that men tend to feel more connected when after they've had sex. I mean, we I think a lot of us do, right? Like dep- regardless of gender. Mm-hmm. And I think that what women sort of need, I think, is the opposite. They need sort of that like loving connection in order to feel mm-hmm. sexual. Kind of like what you were talking yeah. about, Cleo, right? Like you have to have some kind of like intimate connection in order to like feel safe enough and trusting enough to sort of like open your body, mm-hmm. right? To a partner or be open to sexual activity. And I think that comes down to just like general feelings of safety and trust in a relationship. Like if you, and sometimes even your partner can can feel like your sworn enemy, but if you just had a fight, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, or you disagree on something and you're not able to communicate about it, or you have a miscommunication, like you're, you're, parasympathetic getting real nerdy here but your parasympathetic nervous system which is this like part of your body that's responsible for things like rest digestion sexual um, function it kind of it, it shuts down because your sympathetic nervous system which is anything but sympathetic it's kind of like your fear response mm-hmm. it really kind of rises like if you've been in a conflict with your partner you know that like your blood starts boiling Mm -hmm. like your body is in this like fight or flight mode or you know you're getting ready to fight and so your body actually cannot have both kind of at the same time like yes in certain degrees but your body just doesn't feel sexual when you're in that state so you need to get back down to a safe connection with your partner but again it's kind of like what we were talking about before for men they might think like no 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 we need to like have sex in order to like feel connected and safe with one another again so i know that everything is okay and that we're still like buddies or like Mm. love buddies and um i think it's just this like really I think it's a really interesting kind of dynamic that I've noticed. But some of the things that I think that you can do during sex, right, to increase connection with your partner. And and lots of people say that um, that this is actually what's connected to like more satisfying lovemaking or fucking or having sex, whatever you want to call it, um, is is actually some of these like more affectionate behaviors. So like lots of kissing and lots of like caressing and both foreplay but after play as well mm-hmm. so once you've you know kind of finished maybe maybe not but it's <laughs> finished right that it doesn't just stop there and you engage in these like cuddling behaviors for i think the recommended amount is six minutes mm. i don't suggest that you take number. a timer but yeah <laughs> imagine you apple watch i know you're hot don't move yeah. i think the one of the things when you're in a, a long-term relationship, and this is just my advice, is like remembering the beginning and mm. like of getting together and like the chase and and the courting and doing those yes. things, those nice things. Like I've, I'll, and I hate I hate the the whole idea of date night, but but the idea of s- s- putting aside time for each other, yes, and doing cute things like. Like I used to get like notes all the time, you know, and that, you know, my partner now, like he'll catch himself 
And then I'll put something like on my dashboard, like something where you're just like, oh, it brings me back to like when we weren't fighting over like the leaks in the house and, you know, like all the life stuff that comes in and remembering those intimate things about your partner. Because then otherwise you're just like a roommate who's fighting over bills and kids, all that stuff. Totally. Yes. Bring it back. Um, So we've talked lots about communication in general, communication in the bedroom. But what about if we want to introduce a toy? So I know lots of couples might feel like introducing a toy as a signal, like my partner's not doing enough or like they've had a partner who's introduced a toy and there might be like a jealousy thing there. Um, So, yeah, like what are some toys or products that we can introduce into our sex lives in a way that excites our partners as well? I saw the other day, okay, once you buy the dickie, do you ride it? It is the hardest thing <laughs> on the planet. Really? Like, that's why you hire 11-year-old boys who have so <laughs> much energy. But I saw a FedEx dickie D, and it's electric. <gasps> so the guy was that's barely, cool. he, he was barely moving his, like, feet, and the, the d- massive dickie D is just riding. I'm like, now where, where was that? <gasps> Okay, so I think this kind of goes back to just, you know, that point around your pleasure is more important than your partner's ego. So just I think it's important that people incorporate what works for them outside of a partner situation, like when you're on your own, Mm -hmm. like you're just self-pleasuring or masturbating and you use a toy and your body is kind of like used to that sensation. And I think it's important to incorporate that into partner sex and just kind of do that crossover because if orgasm is important to you and a toy gets you there or it's part of your arousal pattern or you just even like the look of your toys or they add something taboo Mm -hmm. to the sexual experience, like go for it. I think talking to your partner about it, mm, I don't need, does, is it even like I I necessary? Say, do you need to? I, I think just lay them out yeah. and then see what the reaction is. If it's like a cool, great, this is awesome. Then that might be someone that sticks around and doesn't get the door. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> or, you know, or, or someone might need a little bit of a conversation around it. Is this what you like like is does this mean something about me no i think if you kind of start boldly with Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. like often people are like tiptoeing maybe we'll like take it slow and introduce like the little toy and then the like giant one (laughs) um i don't think that that's (laughs) yeah just bring out the strap on day one (laughs) you know i I really think it's like exposure therapy right you know and that doesn't mean that they like you're always entitled to like say no and have veto power over something but like for what reason i might agree with you i might agree with you on this one like just bring her out there's also um you said the fear of their partner's ego but Mm -hmm. i think you also have to get over the fear of your fear Mm. so like yes you know the fear of being denied or what is he gonna think or what is she gonna say like you have so much pent up that you're bringing all of this energy to the situation that didn't need all of that energy in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It could have just been like, I want to try a toy instead of being like, I want to try a toy. I've been thinking about it for a really long. I don't think I'm a slut. <laughs> and like, I didn't really, where, don't worry about where I found it. Like, did you like, I went shopping on my own. Like it, I can just, I can hear it in my own mind yeah. going, mm-hmm. spitting out of control that you're so worried about what the other per- person's going to think about you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just a good conversation to have about, that like I know that this is sometimes an awkward topic of conversation or you know I know that this might you know cause you to think that 
especially if you have a ton of toys and like maybe the idea is that you've used them with another partner or partners. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in the mind of someone who sees that they're not used to it themselves and they don't have that experience, they might just feel inexperienced first and foremost. So you might say like, it's okay that we're starting without any knowledge of like how to use these things mm-hmm. before. Let me show you how I like to use these on myself and then maybe like you can feel more confident with time you don't need to feel confident right away and um and this is not an indication of like me not enjoying my time with Mm -hmm. you this is something that actually enhances my time with you um i think is important to just kind of like just have a talk just have a little talk about it if the other person needs a little talk i love that approach and you're so gentle in the way that you say it we're like (laughs) we're like okay yeah, let's record it and just play that for our partners. Um, for many women, there's shame and embarrassment about finding it difficult to maintain wetness even when you are aroused. And this was a huge question that came up when we did our open call out. What do you suggest for maintaining wetness aside from lube? How can women get through this? Well, I don't know why you wouldn't use lube. Right, okay. like to begin. KY with... plug, plug for KY. Shameless okay. plug for KY. <laughs> KY Canada liquid silk. All, Everybody, all don't walk, run. Uh-huh. Well, there we go. I mean, I just I I think lube is fantastic, but in pornography, we rarely, yes. if ever, see it used. Yeah, if it's ever, like saliva. Yeah, they're yeah. like. Ugh. Like, yeah. who has enough of that, you know? Yeah. It's not very lubricating. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not It's not the best. Like, uh, you can sometimes use that maybe when you're on your own and you can, like, control. Mm-hmm. You have a little bit more control, maybe. But um, I think using lube is, like, just fantastic. There's something called, um, like, arousal um, disconcordance, right? So but you can be psychologically, like, very turned on. Mm-hmm. And your genitals just might not respond and for some people this is just like natural so you can be like a desert down there Mm -hmm. but in your mind you're like yeah i want this like really excited and so what do you what is one to do other than to use lube up lube up yeah like just lube it up and make sure that you're using something that you know is is okay for your body everyone has like a different i think different sensitivities so you have to make sure that it's something that's body safe and some people prefer like Mm water-based or silicone you know lubes just make sure that you maybe test it out on your own and you kind of make sure that your lube if you're using toys is also kind of safe to use right but i think that i've never tried this or or recommended that somebody tries this but I've heard that Benoit balls can, you know, it's like little balls that you put inside of your vagina mm-hmm. and that those can actually like stimulate some wetness. But there are so many reasons why someone might not be able to have any kind of wetness. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? We're going to come to those Benoit balls on our Mythbusters episode later mm-hmm. this month. So mm-hmm. everybody come back for that one. Yeah. Because I think that's on the list of things we want to talk about, actually. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we've talked lots on this episode and throughout this series, we're going to talk about the importance of emphasizing sexual empowerment, obviously, for men and women. I think we started unexpectedly with men. Mm -hmm. And some people obviously struggle with confidence. Some people don't sexually. And do you have any thoughts or advice for the people who do struggle with sexual confidence um, and how we can feel more empowered in the bedroom? Yeah, totally. This is such a common problem that I see in my practice, especially with, like, again... Men are getting a lot of airtime today. <laughs> um, that's okay, though. But um, we love men, too. Uh, so I think that, like, they really, really struggle with this, like, sense of performance. And I think that mm. that's where the discomfort and the lack of confidence and the anxiety comes from is looking at sex like a performance. Mm-hmm. Whether it's because maybe they're, like, more frequent consumers of pornography or maybe because they have you know, traditionally like a more active role or pressure to have a more active role in sex that like is, you know, again, heterosexual context, but like intercourse focused, that they have to be hard all the time, that if a woman so much as looks over their way, they have to have an erection immediately or otherwise like there's something wrong with them. And a lot of, I think a lot of people like look at themselves in this way. I think for women it's, or just people with vaginas, it's about wetness. Mm-hmm. People with vulvas, it's about wetness. Well, what if I'm not wet enough? Does that mean that the other person's not going to have a good time? Then use lube, right? Like <laughs> yeah. just use it um, and reapply it and continue to reapply and just normalize it, right? It's like not, again, it's not this, it shouldn't be this big thing, right? It shouldn't be this like scary thing. But I think that to improve that, to improve on your confidence is to to really be gentle with yourself. And you can say you can even have like a letter that you write to your, you know, parts and just kind of find out, like, how do I feel about these parts, how they're like letting me down? How are they? helping me like Mm -hmm. how do I feel empowered by having these these parts right like your genitalia or other parts of your body that might be feel feel really erotic for you and I encourage people to look outside of just their genitalia as well as um as kind of avenues for pleasure like your entire skin is like this huge organ that is incredibly saturated with sensation or the ability to experience sensation and pleasure. So I think when people can start to just look at sex as an exploration Mm -hmm. rather than a performance Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. find themselves kind of delighted with their discovery and change even the way that they're touching um, another person. So in in such a way that you're actually looking at um, touch as what's it like for you versus what's it like for the other person and trying to turn them on because i think we've all had the experience where someone's just trying to turn us on and we know it yeah Yeah. and it feels weird yes it's like a cringy try hard situation yeah instead of like actually like enjoying the act of pleasuring and not needing it to go somewhere or be goal driven i think this can be really really helpful um so 
like, obviously orgasm is like important for a lot of people, not so much for others. And it's, while it's important to kind of like allow yourself to have one, if you'd like one with your partner, also just having that as a goal, I think can sometimes be another one of these kind of performance-based anxiety provoking things where people don't really immerse themselves into the here and now. And that's like the way to get out of um, anxiety, right? Is to what is anxiety other than kind of like a focus on the future or the what if and like what if a bad outcome happens. And the way out of that is really to immerse yourself in the moment. So you can really ground yourself by um, by focusing on sensation. What is the sensation feeling like? Oh, what if I'm, you know, and you might find yourself thinking, what if I'm not wet enough? Or what if I'm, oh my gosh, I'm at like 70% hardness, not 80% hardness. Like what, what is this other person experiencing and focusing on the other person? If you can bring it back to you and your pleasure, often that really, really helps a lot. And again, it's this like empowerment through feeling deserving of pleasure that I think can really help people a lot, just like in many different aspects. You brought up orgasms, the big O, um, and we've all heard of a cervical orgasm, mm -hmm. but there are other types of orgasms <laughs> that I didn't even know about. Mm -hmm. um, and there's very various techniques for achieving them. You want to talk a little bit about, because I have a list here. It's like there's a sure. clitoral orgasm, there's a blended anal, C-spot, mm -hmm. orgasm, skin, breath and fantasy like lots of different <laughs> versions i have to talk about all of them yeah but. yeah okay um so orgasm is like it's something that happens in your brain mm. right and oftentimes you can like engage in some kind of stimulation that is going to send signals to your brain that you are like enjoying something and it's really pleasurable and typically the way that people get to orgasm if they're self-pleasuring or if their partner is pleasuring them um, if you have a sort of like more feminized body like if you have a clitoris if you have a vulva um, is through direct clitoral stimulation right and that kind of whatever stimulation that you're doing often people tend to speed it up as they're getting closer and closer to orgasm and then an orgasm happens and then you're like, woo, well, if you feel great, right? And it releases all of these kind of chemicals and you might feel closer to your partner afterwards if you're with them. You might, if you have a headache, you might get rid of your headache that way. Or if you have some kind of, it's great for pain relief, mm -hmm. right? Again, pleasure and pain, like so closely linked. And I think that um, some people... I've certainly had this experience. I'm happy to, to share about this. And I, I know some people who have had this experience can just have an orgasm just by thinking thoughts, right? I have a, a friend who only has orgasms that way, right? When, when she's alone. And I think like introducing that little tidbit of information, I hope that people don't go home or don't, don't kind of like come out from listening to this thinking that they have to also be able to, to do that. I have a very vivid imagination, so maybe that has something to do with it. I also know a lot about like my body, et cetera. I know a lot about sexuality, so could it could be from that, or it could just be something that my my body knows how to do, or my brain knows how to do. But for most people, I think that 
when they're thinking about orgasm, it's often paired with some kind of physical action. And again, if you have sort of like a, a vulva, a clitoris, it's often, even if it's a cervical orgasm, right? Even if it's like an anal orgasm, if it's a vaginal orgasm, it's still a clitoral orgasm at the end of the day. Oh, but again, what if someone can just have, you know, like cervical stimulation, which I mean, you kind of can't because you're touching all of the different parts of the internal clitoris as you're like inserting something to get to the cervix. But someone can kind of feel so turned on and so aroused in their mind that they can have an orgasm. But if we're thinking about, I think if we're thinking about more generally, it all kind of comes back to the clitoris and also like what's between your ears. Wow. Mm. Wow. I would say. Yeah, lots of myths, though. Yeah, we were chatting about this earlier and we're like, we have all had that person who's like rocked our world or the sexual fantasies that we (laughs) kind of build up in our head um, about a future partner or even a past partner. So how can we avoid comparing previous sexual experiences with current sexual partner or partners? (laughs) (laughs) touchy subject (laughs) super touchy yeah that's really interesting i really like what cleo what you said earlier which was about like you know it doesn't have to be lovemaking or whatever it can be a variety of different things and i think that's a healthy way to look at just the kind of spectrum of your sexual experiences as all being different and okay so i have a couple of friends who are like married and i think that you know sometimes they'll say like wow i really enjoyed flirting with this person who i like knew before i got married or met even when i got married and it's like i don't want anything more except the fantasy of them Mm -hmm. and i think with that there's always this like is this okay like what am i doing is you know and i think my question back to friends who've had that experience is what part of you are you connecting through thinking about and fantasizing about that experience that you were connected to through that experience that might be kind of lacking in your life right now. So I I feel like it's a good way to kind of get more information about what you might feel disconnected to in your life when you find yourself fantasizing about that kind of sex. And you can maybe try to incorporate it into sex with your current partner, partners. I think, you know, you probably, I don't know if you want to talk, like, People have different levels of what they're okay with talking about with their partner when it comes to like exes and different sexual experiences and stuff like that. So if there's some room to talk to your partner about it and it won't kind of like cause a lot of conflict and it'll be like, you know, not like a harmful conversation, maybe even talk to your partner about that and see how can we access that or what, not even in sex, but what do you need like as your autonomous self in your life to be able to access more of that, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Some ideas, I guess. <laughs> I feel like I've been... No, that was, love no it. that's great. really good. Since we're on the topic of sexual partners, our audience, another audience question, wants to know some hacks for remedying relationships with mismatched libidos and feeling low desire. Is, there, is, is that a deal breaker? Like, mm. yeah, is it a deal breaker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really 
like great question because I think most people experience some kind of some level of desired discrepancies within the relationship, right? So I think like normalizing that is a, an important first step. I think if sex is really, really, really important to one person, but not very important to another person, it might still be able to work. And like I've seen some couples make it work. They might have like an alternate arrangement. Um or they they focus more on the other aspects of their relationship um, in order to kind of feel more of a sense of satisfaction within it and a commitment to one another. I think it can work, but for the most part, I think partners have to develop a little bit of a sense of responsiveness to the other person. And by that, I mean, they kind of have to think about the other person's needs as being important mm -hmm. and that in some cases might override what your needs are, whether your need is to have sex or to not have sex. If you can approach your partner with this attitude or this um, kind of, yeah, this attitude of responsiveness and I look out for you and you look out for me. If you see that I'm tired, if you see that I'm completely stressed out or I'm going through a really hard time or like I'm grieving, then probably my need not to have sex, if that's kind of like how I'm responding to these events or these feelings, um, is more important than, you know, your desire to connect mm -hmm. right now. And what often happens is like you kind of you kind of create this um, like well of responsive gestures that you've each put into this well. And then you can kind of like you can also feel the same way about your partner who might feel the need to sexually connect more often than you would like. Right. So if and I think it's really important when we're talking about this to also kind of um, think about what does sexual desire actually look and feel like for people? Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes we might think about it as like an impulse or an urge, but it doesn't always show up that way. So some people just like never experience that mm -hmm. and that's okay. But they might also self-pleasure at times because it feels really great or they might be motivated by other um, factors other than just like a physical sense, like an urge to have sex. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you know, think about maybe the positive aspects of having sex, like maybe I feel more connected to my partner, maybe I feel like it's a tension reliever in some way, or it's good for my stress levels to like have a, a have sex, then you can be motivated by those things. And those physical feelings don't necessarily need to be there before you start touching, before you start kind of like, or before you even create the opportunity to have sex together, right? And um, that can actually happen. That desire can happen by responding. That's where this kind of term responsiveness comes from, responding to a stimulation and to that sense of openness and willingness to explore with your partner. Damn it, you have good answers. <laughs> what what time are we at? How long are we at running? Thomas. Okay, I'm going to feel like I need to cut this last yeah. question because we're, we're heavy in this one, um, <laughs> which is great. Um, and then we're going to read the Thief of Joy one after, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, who wants to lead us out? Yeah. Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. You have brought so much insight and education to not only us, but to our listeners. Where can people find you on the gram? Oh, thank you so much for <laughs> inviting me here. Um, yeah, on the gram, people can find me at Kat Kova Therapy. Um, but they can also connect, I think, most easily through uh, our website, which is www.katkovatherapy.com. Amazing. Thank Check you. it out, y'all. Yeah, catch you on the flip side, guys. 
Thank you. Oh, oh my god! You're so smart. So no, much. You didn't. Yeah. Like I know. We're, we're like we're like <laughs> we needed that. Yeah. So everybody, talk to your partner. Thanks to our friends at KY Canada for partnering with us on this episode. Remember to follow them at KY Canada on all social media platforms. Coes, you know what to do. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple and don't forget to follow us on Spotify. You can continue keeping up with our adventure on the gram at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. Now go tell your friends about it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.